Okay, we are finishing up in John chapter 2. Let's read John chapter 2 from verse 23. And remember, what we're doing is we're going through the chronological life of Jesus, looking through the different Gospels to try to track the chronological life of the Lord as best we could when He was here on earth. So, John chapter 2 verse 23. Now, when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in Him, Many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So, you you see that that, uh, he was started doing many works now in Jerusalem. Remember back in Cana of Galilee, he had turned water into wine, and it was somewhat of a quiet miracle because only the disciples knew, and those who had filled the water uh, 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 vessels, filled the vessels with water, only they knew. But now he was going quite public. At this point in his career, and remember he lived through four Passovers, three and a half years, this was his first Passover, and he was killed on the fourth Passover that is recorded throughout his life in the Scriptures. But... Uh, what we see is that, that he started to do open works. And his works at this point were to testify of his Messiahship, to cause people to believe in his Messiahship. At this point, if the people had received him and believed in him as the Messiah, the kingdom would have come at this very point. But we are going to see eventually that there's a change, there's a turn. And that's because of the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit that had occurred. And at that point, the kingdom... Would, would, would the, the offer of the kingdom would be rescinded at that time. Uh, but here it was an open witnesses through his healing miracles, through many of his miracles. And then we'll later on see a change. Now let's pick it up in John chapter 3, which may be the most... the, the um, maybe the, the, uh, the most commonly read portion in the New Testament. John chapter 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going, and so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Okay, so what what do we see here? We're confronted with this man, Nicodemus, for the first time. And we can learn several things from this passage about the man, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the Hellenized uh, form of a a more Jewish-sounding name for this rabbi, Nicodemus. But it says that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. So that one word, he was a man of the Pharisees. The Pharisees tell us, just by that one word, what he believed theologically. Just like uh, if you say somebody is a Baptist, 
you know from that one word, theologically, very much what they're like. That somebody has, that, that they don't baptize babies, they have to come to a point of, of physically understanding who God is and testifying of that, and then they can be baptized, and it has to be baptism by, by immersion. It's a, you say someone's a Presbyterian, then, a, then they believe that babies can be baptized and, and just sprinkling is sufficient. And you understand something of their theology too, just by that one word. Uh, so, in that day, Pharisees told us something about it, and that distinguished him from a Sadducee, distinguished him from an Essene, for example. And the Pharisees believed that you could get closer to God through the study of the Scriptures, through the study of God's Word, whereas the Sadducees were more based on the commandments of, of uh, offerings, making up the offerings to the temple. They controlled the whole temple sacrifice system. The Sanhedrin was about two-thirds Sadducees and about one-third Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection, they believed in demons, they believed in angels. The Sadducees believed in none of those three things. Uh, so they, they were quite different theologically. Uh, the whole priesthood were, were, were Sadducees. Uh, this man was a man of the Pharisees. So in other words, one who is scholarly, who believes in the, the study, the deep study of God's word, whereas the Sadducees were more focused around the sacrificial system of the temple. So it tells us he was a Pharisee, and it says, a ruler of the Jews. Okay, because he's a ruler of the Jews, it means that he's a member of the 71 of the Sanhedrin. So the, the, the Jews were ruled by a council. You had the high priest plus 70 other members. He was among those 70 other members. Uh, so he was one of the Pharisees. That also tells us something about him, that he was married. Uh, a Pharisee could be married or unmarried. Paul was a Pharisee who was unmarried. He says he was one of the Pharisees. So he was a Pharisee, an unmarried one. But here, to be a ruler, to be on the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. And so we know that he was married. We know that he was now on the Sanhedrin. We also know something else about him, that he was the leader of a rabbinic academy, a rabbinic institute. And we know that from verse, verse uh, um, 10. He said, Jesus said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? He was the teacher. So there's that, that definite article. You are the teacher. That only spoke of ones who became members of, of this elite class that at the age of 50, they, they could become uh, like the president of a university. They were the president, they were the, the leader of a rabbinic institute. So not only was he a rabbi, but he was also now a leader of the Rabbinic Institute. Now, we know from, from extra-biblical writings that, that uh, Nicodemus was a very wealthy man. Uh, in, that time, Pharisee, in that time, rabbis had to have some way of making money. They, they, they taught the Scriptures, and they got no money for teaching the Scriptures, and so that they could teach without getting any money, they all had some profession. We know, for example, that, that uh, uh, Paul, who was a Pharisee, was a tent maker by profession. Uh, the the, the extra-scriptural uh, uh, writings tell us that Nicodemus by profession was a well digger and one of the wealthiest men in Jerusalem. So a very successful well digger. And uh, uh, so he had, had a lot of people that worked for him that, that dug wells. It also says that he was one of the most righteous men in Jerusalem. So he was highly looked up to. And then there's other scriptures about him that come on later on in his life. This is the first instance that we see Nicodemus. 
There's another instance in John chapter uh, 7 where Nicodemus comes and defends the right of, Jewish, uh, of Jesus to speak. He takes on the other Sanhedrin members. He says, it doesn't, doesn't a man have a right to defend himself? Uh, how can we condemn him without him having a right to defend himself, which was Jewish law? And uh, so he came to his aid, but we know he came out openly and testified of his belief in Jesus at the, the burial of Jesus. He, along with Joseph of Arimathea, were the two that came and took Jesus' body down from the cross and buried him. And it says that he, w- it says, it prophesies of Jesus that he was with a rich man in his death. Both Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were very wealthy men. But so Nicodemus eventually comes to believe in Jesus. But there are writings of the Pharisees, uh, writings of, of the rabbis, which can be read today, which talk about this man Nicodemus, that he was cast out by the Pharisees because of his belief in Jesus, eventually cast out, and he died a poor man. So he died without any money after that. Uh, so he lost everything. So, so all interaction with the community was lost because of his profession of faith. But we're going to see more of that later. But that gives you a, a picture of who this man is. Looked to as being very righteous. He was a member of the, of the Sanhedrin. And he was the president or the, the, the head rabbi of a rabbinic institute. So highly respected man. It says in verse 2, This man came to Jesus by night. Again, that's indicative that he didn't want to, you know, look like he's coming to Jesus out in the open. He came at night, quietly. This was a quiet thing. By night, he came to Jesus and started asking questions. So he was interested, but he already knew what people from the ruling party were thinking of this man, Jesus. And he didn't want to so openly come to him. But he came to him by night, and he says, Rabbi... We know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So you see back up in chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus was doing many signs. And because of this, many people were believing on him. And so even, even Nicodemus is intrigued by this. And he says, we know that you have come from God because nobody could do these signs unless God were with him. Unless God had been with him, you could never have done these signs. So that's a testimony that already Nicodemus' heart is being touched. He hasn't come to a point of belief, but he's being drawn. It's very rare for a Jew to immediately accept the Messiahship of Jesus. It often occurs over a period of months or years. Very hard. It does happen, but it's unusual on first contact for a Jew to accept the Messiahship of Jesus. And even harder, very often today, because, because uh, uh, Jews are often taught against Jesus. Taught that he was an imposter, that he was a, a, a wicked man. But you see, so, so this man is intrigued. He's intrigued by the life of Jesus. Now look at how he, Jesus responds. So if somebody were to come up to, say, come up to me and say, oh, you know, we really enjoyed your teaching, you know, it's, 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 it's just... Great thing. And I would say thank you, or I would say glory to God, or something. So this man comes and he speaks praise to Jesus and says, we know that you've come from God. He's an important guy here. He says, because you couldn't do these great works if God were not with you. And Jesus doesn't say thank you, or glory to God. or Here's what Jesus replies. He says, in verse 3, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What kind of response is that to somebody saying, we know that God must be with you because of these great works? And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus is going right for the heart. Here is the issue. You have been confronted now with the works of God. You have been confronted now with these miracles you have seen with your own eyes. Now he goes right for the heart. You are now, you now have to deal with this. This same issue comes our way. Not just at the point of salvation. But when we see in the scriptures the things that God has done, there are steps that we are obliged to make Because of what we have seen. So often that means changing our behavior. Changing our attitude. Okay, you have seen in the Word of God that this is a step of righteousness. That you do this thing. What are you going to do about it? So for example, we see in the New Testament multiple times it talks about baptism. So what are we going to do about that? Are we going to get baptized Because the scriptures talk about baptism. Did you know there's not a single instance where sprinkling in the scriptures for baptism worked? They always had to find water. In fact, it says later on, it's going to talk in the same chapter how how John continued to baptize, and so did Jesus' disciples, and they had to move up the Jordan, because by this time now, there wasn't much water in the downstream part of Jordan. They had to move up by the Sea of Knesseret, the Sea of Galilee, to get enough water to baptize. If, if, if it could just be done by sprinkling, why did they always have to go down to the Jordan? You have a glass of water, you know, it's done. So what are we going to do about this? Are we going to make a, take a step to be baptized? That's between you and God. But this is an example. It is things like this in our lives. When we read the scriptures and it says, Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Find it around your neck. Write it on the tablet of your heart. That means we are obliged to be truthful and honest in our actions. To be kind in our actions. So that when we are unkind, which happens to me all the time, there is this check where I have to go back to people and, and, it, and it seems like my life is going back to people and picking up the pieces that I've destroyed, that I've knocked down and saying, you know, I'm really sorry about that. Please forgive me. You know, so often it happens with me and my students that one student once said to me, you, you know, just don't do that anymore. And I said, I wish I, I, wish I could just be like you and not ever blow it. <laughs> you know? But this happens to me. So there are things that we are confronted with in life. And this is what he says. Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now in verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? This terminology of being born again was very common in the first century Jewish mindset, and it is still common today in modern Judaism. If you go to an Orthodox synagogue, you will hear this terminology of being born again. In many instances, this is not some new concept that Jesus has put out here, as far as terminology goes. How Jesus is defining born again, we're going to see, is different than what they knew. There were six ways to be born again in the first century four of which uh, uh, Nicodemus could participate in. 
So the six ways to be born again is when a Gentile becomes a Jew. So when a Gentile converted to Judaism, it was said of them, they would be, they are born again. That was something that Nicodemus could not participate in because he was already a Jew. A, a, a Gentile could only go to heaven either by converting to Judaism or by obeying, by consistent obedience to the laws given, the, the laws passed by Noah, the Noahic commandment. And, and so, so Noah, right after the flood, had spoken certain things. There, was a, there were things said by God to Noah, and that's what all Gentiles are under. They are obliged to be under these things. That's in the Jewish mindset. But when a Gentile becomes a Jew, they're born again. When a, when a man is crowned king of Israel, it is, the terminology was used, he was born again. Again, this is something that, that Nicodemus could not participate in because we have no indication that he was a descendant of David apart from the line of Jeconiah. Remember, the requirements for becoming king is he had to be a descendant of David, but outside the line of Jeconiah. And so we have no indication that he was part of this either. And even if he had been, he could not be crowned king because they were under the realm of Caesar now. And, and uh, so there was no... No, there were no, nobody was being crowned king in Israel at this point. So there were, those were two ways that he couldn't participate in. But the other four ways he could participate in. When, a, when a, a boy became 13, he was bar mitzvah. Although the terminology bar mitzvah was not used in the first century, it didn't come in until the second century, the same ceremony was done. Bar mitzvah means a son of the commandment. And so when a young boy becomes 13, he gets bar mitzvah, it says of him he is born again. At that point, prior to that point, his sins are, his, are accounted to his parents. After the age of 13, he becomes a man in the sense that his sins are accountable to himself. And then the, the next one was in marriage. And a young man was married between the ages of 16 and 20. At the point of marriage, he was considered to be born again. He was born again in marriage. All right, and then, and then at the age of 30, when a man, if a man became a rabbi, it said that he was born again. And, and rabbis became rabbis at the age of 30 because in the Old Testament it says a priest couldn't become a priest until he was 30. So at 30 they could become rabbis. At that point they were born again. And the last one was at age 50. If they were to become, rise up to the level of becoming a leader of a rabbinic institute or the president of a university in a sense, <clears throat> that happened at the age of 50, which is when the Le- Levitical service of, you know, all the physical service that Levites had to do to take care of the temple went between the ages of 30 and 50. Now, at this point, they didn't have to do the heavy physical service anymore, but it, when a man became 50, if he had reached a certain level, he became head of a rabbinic institute, and at that point, he was born again. So there were no other options for Nicodemus. So that's why Nicodemus doesn't question that a man could be born again. He says, how could a man be born again when he is old? If it were just born again, what does it have to do with when he is old or when he is young? I mean, how could, how could everyone here is... is, is, is uh, no, none of you except for those way in the back are old. <laughs> All right? So... So, so, for any of you, could you be born again? Physically, you couldn't be born again, right? And, and so, all the options are exhausted for Nicodemus. That's why he says, how can a man be born again when he is old? 
or else it would be when he is middle-aged or when he is young. I mean, you can't be born again. So it, the understanding is that I've exhausted my options. So what do you want me to do? Go over and, and start over again, enter into my mother's womb and come out again and start all over and go through the sequence of, of being born again. And that's when Jesus redefines born again in the context in which Jesus is using it. Alright, so that's in John chapter 5. Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Typical Greek sort of methodology. You define it in the first sentence, and in the next sentence, you elaborate upon that. So now Jesus is elaborating upon that in verse 6. He says, That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. So he says in verse 5, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit. So two births, he says. You have to be born of water and the spirit. What does being born of water mean? Verse 6, That which is born of flesh is flesh. That is coming out of this this. this sack of water. This is what he's talking about. That is physical birth. Jesus is defining the first birth as a physical birth when you are born. He says now there is a second birth which is now no longer of the flesh but it is of the spirit. There is a second birth that is of the spirit. The first birth is your physical birth. The second birth is the birth in the spirit. That's how Jesus is defining it. Then he says in verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So Jesus is defining two births. One, the physical birth, which everyone here has experienced. The next one is the spiritual birth. He says you must Go through this to enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is so contrary to the Jewish mindset. The Jewish mindset, even to this day, is that every Jew has a part in the kingdom of God. Just by what you were born into. Every Jew has a part in the kingdom of God. In fact, in rabbinic writings it says that Abraham sits at the gate to Gehenna. And in case any Jew happens, by some mistake, to be going into the netherworld, in the end, Abraham is there to grab them and draw them back. Just by being a Jew, what you are physically born into secures you. You are born into Judaism, you are secure. Jesus said, "Uh uh-uh, doesn't work that way. You have to be born of the Spirit in order to enter the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with the flesh of what you are born into. It has to do with a new birth that comes from the Spirit. This is what he's talking about. There's this new birth that comes from the Spirit that has to be done according to what Jesus has put forth here. This new birth. This is what he says. And then he goes in and he starts speaking about this more. He says, don't Don't be surprised at this, that you've got to be born in the Spirit. And let me tell you something. You can work with all sorts of people all the time. You can work with them. And you can tell them all sorts of things, but until they are born in the Spirit, 
They do not have a part in the kingdom of God. And this is why it's so important for people. This is why it's so necessary to bring people to a point where they are born of the Spirit, where they are drawn into fellowship, into the kingdom of God. This is what's so important about it. It has to be done in this way. So I'll give you an example. My, my aunt called me up. My uncle died recently, and, and, and uh, uh, we're from a Jewish family, and my aunt called me up, and she was, this was about two weeks after his death, and she said, you know, I'm just having these doubts. What if life here on earth is all there is? There is no afterlife. And you know, typical thoughts going through a, per, a, a woman's life after their husband is gone. And, and she said, you, you know, your uncle believed very much in, in life here, in the life after, and uh, uh, talked about God. What if there is no God? And I began to calm her down, and I gave, gave her verses to read from the Old Testament, from Psalm 23, just to meditate on, to begin to prepare her heart. But it is different than dealing with somebody who's really been born of the Spirit, because then you can speak in different things into her life. I could have spoken different things into her life. I want God to begin to prepare her heart to begin to meditate on the Word of God and then begin to open up her heart for the things that God has. But ultimately, unless one is born of the Spirit, nothing will begin to work, really. Once one is born of the Spirit, there's this change. That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 8. He says, you know, the wind blows where it wish- wishes. You don't know where it's come from or where it's going, and so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. There is something mysterious about the person who is born of the Spirit. Something different about their hearts. Something mysterious about this. That you can speak to a person who's never been born of the Spirit, and they don't know what you're talking about. You say, you know, God is doing this in my life. And they're like, huh? God is doing what in your life? And you try to explain to them, you know, this portion is really speaking to me. God is speaking to my heart and I really feel that I need to do this. And they can't grasp it. Why? Jesus said, it's just like the wind. You feel it. But you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. To one who is not born of the Spirit, it's so hard for them to grasp where you're coming from. This is, this is what Jesus spoke about. He talked about how you're different because of the Holy Spirit coming into your heart. And then Nicodemus is totally clueless. He doesn't know and he's trying to understand. The guy is not playing coy here. This is a scholarly guy, a godly man. He's coming to Jesus by night and he's trying so hard to understand. You would think that if anybody could understand this, it would be Nicodemus. He's the leader of the religious institute. He knows all the rabbinic writings. He's read the scriptures over and over and over again. Studied this every day of his life. He should be able to understand this. And he can't grasp it. Because there's something that happens when the Spirit enters your life. I remember that before I was a believer, I had tried several times to pick up the Bible and read it. I was in high school. I just wanted to see it. And I would try to read this and think, Nothing here. I can't understand what it's talking about. There's nothing here. When I was finally born again, when Jesus came into my heart, it was like this tremendous life would just come through the Scriptures. I would read it, and I would say, wow, well, what happened? What's the difference? 
Was it because I had become so scholarly over a six-month period? No. Something happened in my heart. This is what happens. And you try as a, to explain something. As a believer in Christ, who this, one whom the Spirit has entered, you try to explain things to an unbeliever sometimes. They're clueless. They cannot understand it. And ultimately, they'll come back and they say, well, that's good for you. You know, they, they'll give you that. That's the most they might give you, but it doesn't connect. And then Jesus talks about how you need to get the life of the Spirit. So he, this is how Jesus explains it to Nicodemus. And again, Jesus is not trying to be, be, be uh, 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 mysterious here in the way he's explaining it. He says in verse 10, Are you a teacher of Israel? And you do not understand these things? Because in verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus said in verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So that, whatever, that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. Okay, so we'll stop there. So Jesus goes to explain this. So He takes a picture that Nicodemus well understands. He takes this picture, he says in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Okay, so Nicodemus can understand this. He doesn't say, after Jesus said this, he didn't say, what are you talking about? Moses lifting up a serpent, huh? No, that he knew. That's from the Old Testament. There was a time in the Old Testament where the, where the children of Israel were rebelling. God sent snakes. It says God sent serpents and they came and they bit the, the Jews. And as a result of that, many were dying. And they cried out to Moses, Moses, help us. And God told Moses, take a bronze serpent, put it up on a, on a stake, and let the children of Israel look at it. If they are bitten, if they look at that, they will be saved. I don't know, a funny thing, but it worked. And in fact, that bronze serpent stayed until the time of Hezekiah. Many, many hundreds of years later, and then Hezekiah had it destroyed. Hezekiah was a godly king, but the reason he had it destroyed, it said, is because people were worshipping it. And so he had it destroyed. And God wasn't upset at all. It had fulfilled its purpose. But so often God has something for us to fulfill a certain purpose and then we start worshipping it as some little icon. And, uh, and then he had it destroyed. This is where we get, if, if you look at the sign of pharmacy, it's this serpent going around this thing. It comes from that. You look to this and, and, and you'll be saved. There, there's healing in this. So that, that's where this sign comes from. And, and so when he says that, just as Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness, and those who looked to it were saved, even so must the Son of Man, Jesus is saying, even so must I be lifted up. And when I am, 
Those who believe in Him will be saved. And you don't see, you don't see Nicodemus saying, how can this be? Nicodemus now understood. This was an explanation to Nicodemus in a way that he could now understand. He said, you believe in me and you will be saved. Look at how we attain salvation. It is not merely by there being Jesus lifted up or a serpent being lifted up. That was not sufficient for them to be healed if they had gotten bitten. They had to look upon it with belief and they were healed. Our requirement is to believe on these things. That is a requirement. We must believe on these things. Unless we take hold of them by belief, they are not received. If you grow up in a Christian family, doesn't make you a Christian. So it says here, in verse 15, Whoever believes will in Him have eternal life. Remember what he said, you cannot, in verse 5, have a part in the kingdom of God unless... You are born again. Here's how you do it. You believe in Him. You believe in the Son of Man who is lifted up. And He was lifted up on the cross. You believe in Him. Look upon Him. Believe in Him. And you will receive eternal life. This is too easy. This is too easy. And this is why so often we feel like we have to beat ourselves over the head and get all sad and everything. And then all of a sudden... If I get sad enough and beat myself up enough and speak you know, condescendingly of myself enough, then God will forgive me and I might slip into the kingdom. That's not what it says. It says those who believe on Him. God has made it so easy. The activation energy here is very low. <laughs> very easy to get into the kingdom of God. Very easy. It is by belief in Him. And then Jesus stresses this again. He says, God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Again, He underscores it. It comes by belief in Him. If somebody really loved you, they would say, I love you. I love you so much. You know they, But how could they really characterize to you that they loved you. If they give to you the one who means most to them, their child, I really love you. It says God loved the world so much that He gave the most precious thing to Him, His Son. One day you will have a child. You guys have a child. You know how precious your son is to you. Would you die for your child? Uh-huh. Yeah, just the thought of giving your son. Would you give your own life for your son's life? Would you? Yes. Of course. Any parent would give their own life for their child's life. You know, this is what parents do. If you want somebody to be nice, if you want to gain somebody's friendship, you be nice to their child, and you will gain their friendship. That is an instant way to get somebody to like you, you be nice to their child. It works with God too. <laughs> you be nice to God's son and God will like you. It really works. You can get such favor with an individual if you will be nice to their child. God says, I give you my child. That's what he says. He says, how could you demonstrate that you love somebody more than giving them 
your child. This is what he did. And he says, and all you have to do is believe on him whom I have given, and you receive eternal life. It has nothing to do with what, what physical faith you were born into, or what religion, or what race. Nothing, nothing to do with that. You've got to be born of the flesh, and all of us have been born of the flesh. Now you have to be born of the Spirit. And when that happens, something mysterious occurs. It is like the wind. The world doesn't understand it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about how different it is when you have the Spirit of God. It says the natural man doesn't understand what you're talking about. But the Spirit witnesses to our hearts. Something happens in the heart. Now you can walk away. You can walk away from the Spirit's work in your heart and do evil things. You certainly can. And this is what it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, you guys are doing so much evil, the Holy Spirit's not working in your heart anymore. It's not that you've lost your salvation, but He's not working there. It's as if you weren't even having fellowship with the Spirit. <clears throat> but I'll open up the way for you to have fellowship with the Spirit. And it comes first by believing on His Son. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I pray for these young people that if there's anybody here who has never come to a point of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son whom you have given, that you would bring them to that point. Because without that, there is no participation in the kingdom of God unless they are born of the Spirit. And in order to do that, we must believe on your Son. We must believe on who He is, that He is the Son of God. Father, thank You for demonstrating Your love toward us by giving us the One who was most precious to You, Your Son. Thank You, Father. Thank You, Father, for all Your mercies. May we, may we honor the Son, as it says in Psalm 2, kiss the Son, honor Him. Father, I pray, that we would so do that, that we would so honor the Son and in that way get close to You. Father, I thank You. Draw these young people into close presence with You. In the name of Jesus. Amen.